Joel's no longer allowed to ask questions. Okay. Then let's talk about the Satan, because this is uh, mostly what you hear in church. You know, you've got God, who's the good guy, and then you've got Satan, who's the bad guy. And this is about all we really know, really about the bad side, other than some miscellaneous demons, which we don't fully understand, things like that. So let's go ahead and hop in and explain what's going on as we kind of try to wrap up some of our stuff on the bad stuff. Okay. <laughs> All right, so in the Old Testament, you're going to hear some people have really looked into the topic of Satan say, look, Satan's a New Testament thing. It was made up by the Christians. You don't really find him in the Old Testament, stuff like that. And to some extent, I understand what they're saying because Satan is a Hebrew word. And what it really means is adversary or accuser. So it, what's difficult is... You don't have to be a bad guy to be a Satan in the Old Testament, right? Uh, for example, if you know the story about Balaam and his talking, talking donkey, which wasn't Shrek or anything like that. But if you know that story, at one point, the angel of the Lord shows up. The angel of the Lord is like the real good guy of the spiritual beings in the Old Testament. We'll talk more about him in a future week. But the angel of the Lord shows up and he is called a Satan, now, the angel of the Lord is not a Satan in the way that you're thinking. It's simply he was an adversary to Balaam at that point. So he was Sataning Balaam. He was accusing Balaam, adversary to him, trying to prevent Balaam from doing what he's doing. So, truthfully, when you look at the Old Testament, yeah, to be a Satan means that you're just an adversary or accuser. Therefore, anyone could be a Satan in the Old Testament. It's not a bad word necessarily. It's kind of a neutral word. However, the Old Testament also has... Uh, but, uh, <laughs> the Old Testament also has some stories that show up about um, a particular spiritual being who is an adversary to God, seems to be opposing God. And uh, we only catch little tidbits of this creature, sneak peeks that just happen every once in a while. Ezekiel 28 is one of the, the big ones, okay? So here's what happens in Ezekiel 28. In Ezekiel 28, um, a, a king is being called out by Ezekiel. Ezekiel is basically saying, look, dude, you done messed up. You've been trying to call yourself, you know, all great and all this stuff, uh, but you're not. And God wants to kind of call you out right now at this prophetic word. And what's interesting is as Ezekiel is speaking, he goes from telling this king about the way that he's living to suddenly talking about someone else who messed up in history. And as he tells this story, we all just kind of pause. And we're like, who are you talking about? You're not talking about this king anymore. This is someone else. Here's what he says about some miscellaneous person or being. He says, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. I love that word. Someone name your kid carbuncle, please. I think and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. 
You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. This is a weird passage because uh, we were just talking to a king. Hey, king, you should humble yourself. And then suddenly he's like, you were in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> now, Ezekiel's not talking about the king anymore. It's like he's like sidetracked to some other story. He's telling the king a story about someone else who was really prideful and got caught up in himself and how it ruined him. Now, because this uh, Ezekiel says that this happened in the Garden of Eden... Who are we probably going to jump to? The serpent is where we might jump to since I'm talking to you tonight about Satan. But most people jump to Adam. <laughs> They're like, Adam, he was, uh, he was in the Garden of Eden. And he was beautiful, I guess. And <laughs> he was really smart, I guess. None of these details we have about Adam. But because he was in the Garden of Eden, that's where people jump. But this is not about any person as Tyler is pointing out I mean it's called a cherub Adam was not a cherub a cherub is a spiritual being that protects God's throne is in God's presence so this is clearly not Adam and on top of that you see other things that look like a spiritual being you see all these references to shiny gems spiritual beings in ancient minds were shiny creatures because they were like the stars uh, things like that um and then as we look through this, we see like all these other stories. So when we start to stop and we say, if this isn't Adam, who else would it be? Who's the story being told to us about? If we stop and start thinking about the serpent, the snake, about Satan as we know him today, we start to realize like this very much makes sense as an explanation as to who Satan is. And so we get a little bit of a backstory. Who was Satan? Well, at one point, he was full of perfection. He was full of wisdom. He's perfect in beauty. He was in Eden. We see that in the story. Uh, and we see that he was a guardian cherub, anointed specifically for the position to watch over God's throne. So he wasn't just like a messenger angel. This guy was like in God's presence all the time. But then suddenly something changes. He becomes filled with violence he sins, he profanes sacred space, and because of that, he's destroyed and made low. So it's kind of a weird story, but Ezekiel starts off telling a king, here's the way you need to humble yourself, and then he starts telling a story about someone else who needed to humble himself and what God did to him when he didn't humble himself. We all kind of tracking so far? Any questions? 
So uh, potentially, the way that like that I've always read through this whenever I was reading through it is kind of like um, him like speaking to the king and then mm. kind of seeing through the king's like stu like stubbornness and his his like pride and kind of saying like speaking to like the Satan inside of him kind of a thing. <coughs> like has any historical? <coughs> so I guess what I'm asking is if it has any historical or biblical like framing for that kind of like, interpretation. Um, I think you could go that route if you wanted. I think the point goes that route in one way or another. Simply because, like, he's saying you're acting like this creature that once disobeyed God and had to be made low because of it. So you could go that route, um, and that would fit it perfectly fine. It's a... It, it, one way or another, though, it's like a comparison, right? You're acting like this one guy. Let me tell you a story. If I want to teach someone a lesson about something, sometimes I just don't give them the moral of the story. I tell them a story about someone else. There was once a boy, Beckett, who cried wolf. And by the third time, no one believed him when the wolf actually showed up, right? And the story gets communicated a little better. So, listen, King, there was once a being named Satan who... Uh, you're acting a lot like right now and perhaps maybe are even embodying in a sense, which could kind of go into the message that we were talking at dinner church last night in some ways. Uh, political leaders getting caught up in a satanic overthrow without noticing it. So yeah, you could go that route too. But yeah, that's a good point. I never really thought of it in that light. Uh, so that's kind of a weird story though. We don't have a lot of stories like this in the Bible where prophet just suddenly transitions from a king to a spiritual being without giving a lot of background. Except Isaiah does the exact same thing in Isaiah 14. He's talking to a king, he's correcting him, and then suddenly Isaiah starts telling a story about a spiritual being. Isaiah 14 does the same thing as Ezekiel. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down a shield to the far reaches of the pit. This goes back to the divine council stuff we were talking about last week, right? That's what the uh, Mount of Assembly is. It's where the divine council assembles. And so you see in this picture, Satan apparently was trying to usurp God's throne at one point, which sounds just ridiculous to me <laughs> to think that like this being who created you and everyone else, that you could have such incredible audacity and pride, especially when you're a cherub who sits in his presence every day and has seen like God knows all things about everything to suddenly just think like, I'm going to overthrow this guy. Like it's just, it's madness. And I see this in people sometimes, too, uh, when we would blaspheme God and act like he's not uh, all that smart or special or important. Like, that's what Satan does. It's just surprising because this, to some extent, seems to be one of God's right-hand men, anointed for the job of being in his presence at all times. So he tries to uh, overthrow God. I will make myself like the most high. I will take God's seat in the assembly and rule over all the other divine beings and, and be in charge of them. Uh, even, even the language of stars here. So Satan here is called O Day Star, Son of Dawn, which in Latin is called Lucifer. 
So if you ever wondered where the name Lucifer came from, you won't find it in your English Bible. During the time that uh, the Bible was especially translated into Latin, people came across Isaiah 14 and they realized, hey, Daystar, son of dawn, Lucifer, this is that Satan being of the New Testament. This, this guy tried to overthrow God and was um, God overthrew him instead. So what happens to Satan uh, is, again, we see him thrown down. He tries to become the star that's brightest and highest in the sky. And God throws him down to the earth to the lowest of lows. Not even just to the earth, but the shield, the pit, which is like as low as you get in ancient cosmology. That's below the earth. That's where when people die in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you didn't go to heaven or hell. You went to Sheol. That was just where all spirits went when they died. So uh, Satan is now sent from the highest of heights to the lowest of lows to the pit to Sheol. Questions or comments so far? Okay. So let's get into the New Testament. These are really kind of the only stories where we start. You, you have to realize there's quite a bit of time between the Old Testament and New Testament. And during that time, they're in exile and they're thinking over all these passages within the Old Testament. And as they're piecing it all together, they're starting to think of this being who is in the Old Testament. And they're starting to take the, the word Satan, accuser, um, take the idea of this spiritual being who's an adversary to God, who's an accuser of humanity. And they're taking that word and they're beginning to say, we actually like, let's take that name accuser and just stamp it on that divine being that rebelled against God in Ezekiel and Isaiah. And let's give him a name. He's the Satan. He's this big bad guy who rebelled against God and now makes our lives difficult. So in the New Testament, they've started to think of this in a new way. They've given him a name. And Jesus uh, actually seems to kind of quote those prophecies. And since Jesus is God in flesh, you see God basically saying like, yeah, that's the story. This guy rebelled against me because Jesus starts talking about how he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's a reference back to Satan being kicked out of heaven. He's falling from the stars to Sheol. You also see uh, um, Hebrews is going to say that uh, Satan, he's the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Power of death. Where, where does death belong? That Sheol. So we're seeing references again to uh, these connecting lines. And uh, Revelation is going to go the whole distance and say that that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. In other words, he's saying we all know the serpent who is in the Garden of Eden that was Satan. So this is kind of like progressive revelation. Have you ever heard this word before, this term? Progressive revelation is the idea that God did not just give us a perfect understanding of everything from the get-go instead over time he develops thoughts and teaches us things and so we grow into understandings of, of fuller things so the bible has progressive revelation about who satan is where we don't necessarily know who he is when we see the snake in the garden the first time but by the end of the bible it's like the snake in the garden progressive revelation we know that was satan 
And that's not necessarily just a snake in the garden, by the way. It's the Hebrew word nashash, which can be translated diviner, which is someone who gives divine information. Uh, it can also be translated for words for shiny things, which is what a spiritual being looks like. So snakes don't talk, obviously. And when you look at the Old Testament, you see that they understood that this was like a, a spiritual being, not just a, a snake. Okay, so Satan in the New Testament, we now start to understand that when he was cast to earth, he actually was given power in many ways over the earth. Revelation 4, 8 through 9, devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Interesting how Jesus doesn't say like, you can't give me those, those are gods, right? Jesus actually understands like, it's called a temptation because it's tempting, right? <laughs> Not just like that Satan's saying something stupid. What you see is Jesus has this understanding, like, if I were to fall down and worship you, you would give me all these kingdoms because apparently Satan's saying, like, I have control over them. It's not the only place in the Bible where you see it. Uh, Revelation 13, we talked about this at dinner church last night. To the beast, which was Rome, uh, the dragon gave his power and his throne and his great authority. So Satan, again, is pictured with authority over a nation. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So this prince of the power of the air, the air was like understood to be the place where demons dwelt. They were invisible like oxygen. And so you see this prince of the power of the air kind of reigning over in a sense. Uh, you also see um, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So this could be translated to be Yahweh blinded the minds of unbelievers. That sounds a little weird. It is possible. But as you'll see, a lot of... Uh, Bible translations give it a lowercase g. In other words, say like Satan is uh, the god of this world that has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So some would go that route. Uh, John especially emphasizes the power and control that Satan has over the world. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Satan's pictured as a ruler. Jesus, when he's getting ready to die, he tells his disciples, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then John 16, the ruler of this world is judged. 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So Satan, when he comes down to Sheol and he's put in the place where dead go and he's given the power of death, because that is what happened when he led humanity to um, sin against God, is that we all now die. You see that Satan is holding this power of death. He's holding power over the world, that all humans are subject to death. And so in some way, he seems to kind of rule over us and oppress us. And the Bible has a pretty big picture of that, uh, especially once you get into the New Testament and see it even more clearly. But Jesus overthrew Satan. You know, it, it's hard for us to hear these things because like, I thought God was in control and things like that. Jesus actually overthrows Satan and the way in which he does it is by tricking him. If you have ever read prophecies in the Old Testament, 
I feel like most of us could admit, like, these are hard to understand. <laughs> like, even when we're like, how does Jesus fulfill this prophecy? Like, it's hard sometimes to connect the dots. It was the same way for the disciples. Jesus would often have to tell the disciples, what I just did fulfilled this prophecy over here. And they're like, oh, okay, I see what you did. After Jesus died and rose from the dead, it says he then walked with his disciples and explained all the way from Moses to the prophets everything that he had done. So why was it so cryptic in the Old Testament about what Jesus would do? Well, it's because you don't tell your enemy your battle plans, right? God wasn't going to tell Satan the way in which he was going to overthrow him. Prophecy was written in a way that it would be understood in hindsight. So Jesus would say, look at what I did. Now look at the prophecies connected together. I wasn't straightforward with you before. Satan would have never killed me. But because he killed me, check out what's happened. I've been able to free you from the Lord of death. Okay, so when you look at the way things were set up, uh, Satan's really the one that got Jesus killed. He enters into Judas, is what Luke tells us, which means Judas is the one who got Jesus up on that cross, turned him over. So Satan is a part of the way. And then Hebrews says, uh, through, through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So it was by Jesus being killed by Satan that Satan was overthrown. And if you're like me, you're like, how though? <laughs> At least this is a question I come up with a lot. I'm always like, how did Jesus dying on a cross actually save us? Like, I just don't fully understand the connection there. Here's what I would suggest it's the fact that Jesus was sinless. Part of the reason we die right now is because we have sin in our lives. That, that was what Adam and Eve did. They brought sin into the world, and every single human being since then has sinned. So Satan has power over us because we are sinful creatures, because we die because of our sin. If we hadn't sinned, we would have lived forever in God's presence. We had access to the tree of life, which you could eat from, and that just kept you being able to live in God's presence. But because Satan leads us to sin and therefore leads us to death, well, now Satan is able to kind of lord it over us in that way. But when he has Jesus killed... When he has Jesus hung on a cross and he's the one who actually caused this to happen, I think it's kind of like a Trojan horse. Like he did not realize I just broke the curse on humanity. I overstepped the bounds that I was assigned. I had a sinless human being killed and now I don't have my power anymore. Jesus has taken it from me. So Jesus beats him, Hebrews says, by dying. So that's one of the ways that I would suggest. I've just been trying to kind of piece that out for some time. Thoughts or questions? I'm almost done. So. Everybody. Okay. Uh, the other question that um, we might want to ask, though, is because last week we saw that there's a lot of powerful spiritual beings out there, right? that there's false gods, princes, and principalities, all different kinds of things. Uh, so is Satan like in charge of all of them? Do they all do his bidding? And actually that answer, we don't fully know. The Bible did just kind of paint a pretty big picture of Satan being 
kind of like the lead of this all. But part of the reason it does that is because it takes the name adversary accuser. It looks at the serpent. He was the original accuser, the original adversary. He's the one that led humanity into all this stuff. And so it just stamps Satan as like the ultimate bad guy because he's the original rebel, if you will. But is he the only one in charge of kind of the dark world, if you will? That we fully don't know because Paul talks in Ephesians 6 about all kinds of spiritual beings that have power. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So he doesn't just list Satan. He lists all kinds of spiritual beings with power and authority. So is Satan like the lead guy over all of them? Hard to tell. But we do know this. The whole dark world, if you will, is all on the same page with one another with the same mission. And we see that from Jesus because when they accuse Jesus of casting a demon out by the power of a higher demon, Jesus is like, your logic doesn't make any sense. Why would Satan cast out Satan? That would mean that Satan's kingdom is against Satan's kingdom. And Jesus' point is like a kingdom that is against itself It can't stand. It's just going to collapse. It's going to fall apart. So Jesus understands like Satan is wise enough that they're not all fighting with each other about you've got your kind of spiritual legion over here doing your thing. I've got mine. Rather, they're all on the same page with one another about the same kind of mission, same kind of way of doing things, even if they're all doing it different in all the different places they are. So that's kind of like a glimpse into the world of of the Satan. You see him from all the way at the beginning of the Bible to his death, ultimately all the way at the end of the Bible, where Jesus completely overthrows him. And he's thrown into uh, death, and then death itself is thrown into death. So even death dies, and everything is restored and made perfect to the way it should have been in Eden, in the new resurrected life, without all of that other evil and rebellion going on okay so don't know if that's confusing or not um any questions before i close out or comments y'all good okay so do i believe that satan is a real being i do absolutely um But do I also believe that the Bible is progressively revealing him over time? Yeah, I see that too. Uh, Whatever the case may be, part of the reason we even talk about him tonight is because we have to learn who our enemy is (laughs) because he's opposing us every day. Uh, Millions of Christians around the world, some are being opposed in incredible ways through martyrdom and others are being... um, opposed in the opposite ways through apathy and all other kinds of things. Whatever the case may be, though, the Bible says, look, you've got an enemy. You've got an adversary. You have an accuser. If Satan had his way, he would go before God's throne in the divine council, and he would accuse you all day and all night, trying to convince Jesus not to forgive you and to let you go. And if you're like me, you've suffered those accusations plenty of times, where you're up late into the night thinking about everything you've done wrong, because this little cronk demons on your shoulder. <laughs> hey, 
think about this thing you did, huh? Yeah, just like over and over again. No, no, he's got a point. And, <laughs> and just when you think about like the way that plays out, just being accused, uh, Jesus is calling us into the freedom of being forgiven, uh, but also the freedom to not have to suffer through Satan's temptations, just as Jesus himself broke through Satan's temptations. Okay, well, as you think over it, if you have any questions, please feel free to use the Discord chat um, on the spiritual uh, little thread. Uh, I always love to have these conversations more and to fix anything that may have been confusing and things like that. So let me pray for you, and then we'll have our final smash game to see who's the victor this week. God, we just thank you for... uh, For your strength and power and wisdom, which is far, far greater than Satan's. It's so sad to think that anyone could become so puffed up with pride that they would try to turn against you in the way that Satan did. Many of us have had good friends who were there by our side every single day doing all kinds of things, hanging out. And then just one day they were suddenly gone. That's kind of the picture that we get of Satan, where it's not just a broken relationship, but he's there by your side all the time in your presence, full of your wisdom and beauty and perfection. He's imaging you. And then suddenly in one moment, he just breaks And it's not just a fractured relationship. It becomes an opposed relationship where he turns against you. And he turns against everything that images you. As he comes down to the earth, he sees your image and all these human beings. And he tries to snuff them all out. To bring an end to your image, but also to bring an end to... To, to cause you more and more pain. To watch your image suffer and be hurt. But it's not a question as to if you'll win. You already have won. Jesus, you've uh, shown Satan once and for all that you are the King of kings, Lord of lords, God of gods, that he could never take your throne. And you've already told him, you've destined him, and he knows his time is short. And perhaps every time you cast out a demon, that's why the demons were always like, aren't you here early? Why are you here already? Nervous that their end had come sooner than even they thought. It's not a question as to if they've lost, it's just a question as to when you'll bring about the full ending for them, where they'll be tossed into the lake of fire and done away with. And so we live in your victory. We live in the resurrection life instead of the death that uh, is brought upon everything cursed with it. And we just ask for the strength to bring other people out of the grip of Satan, out of the grip of the beast, out of the grip of demons, out of the grip of addictions and problems and accusations, to bring them into the grip of you as you love them and you restore your image in them and you bring them into resurrected life, God. Would you bless us with the ability to reach those around us, others who um, are nerds as well that we can speak with and talk with and be on the same page with, to show them that you are God, 
and that you love them very much. So we turn ourselves over to you and we rebuke the ways of Satan. In Jesus' name, amen.